I'd like to go ahead and turn to Matthew 28 first thing this morning. While you're turning, I want you to remember a story from the Old Testament. Remember the story of Elijah and the uh, prophets of Baal? Remember that story? Got it, got it in your mind? Great story, isn't it? A lot of great sarcasm in there of Elijah mocking out the prophets. Hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Pouring water on the altar. God's fire comes down. Laps it all up. But sometimes we forget what this whole story was about. And here's what Elijah had said. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. How long you go limping between two different opinions? Most of your translations probably say, How long will you hesitate between two different opinions? God has always wanted committed followers. If the Lord is God, why are you hesitating? Follow Him. We've been reminding ourselves what the commitment of a disciple in the New Testament means. And our definition was this. A disciple is fully committed to following Jesus and obeying everything he has commanded him to do. Committed to following and obeying. Now, I remind you, where did we get this definition that we came up from? Not just from one straight verse, was it? We've studied at various times some of the characteristics that Jesus said... If you're a disciple, these are the characteristics you must have. Number one, you must be chasing Him. Your devotion is not to a religion. It's not to a church. It's not to traditions. It's not to your ideas. Your devotion is to Jesus Christ if you're a disciple. And so over 20 times in the New Testament, He says verses like this. He said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. So the disciple is one who follows Jesus. A disciple is one who imitates the one that he follows because we're told in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everybody fully trained will be like his teacher. We're to follow his example. We're to be transformed into the image of Christ. They should more and more see Christ in us if we're committed to following Him. Change is happening. He expects us to follow the conditions. That was read for you this morning from Luke 14. One of those verses was, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. To follow Jesus, nothing can come before him. And because of that devotion to him, it will at times look like we hate our family because he comes first. 
He reminded the disciples they were to publicly confess him to be their authority. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it takes a public confession, not just a private belief that a disciple had to make. And because you make that confession that he's Lord, he expects you to obey what he tells you to do, compliance. Because he asks some of them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? That does not make sense. You say you're my disciples, but you won't do what I say. It doesn't go together. Because if you're my disciples, you're committed to following me and obeying everything I tell you to do. That's our definition. Here in Matthew 28, we've been here a number of times. And it reminds us the purpose that we are disciples. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Why does He make us disciples? Because He wants us to make disciples. And it reminded you a couple of weeks ago, if you have no desire to make disciples, you may not be a disciple. Because that has to be a desire, because that's our purpose. And so for the last couple of weeks, we studied the Great Commission. Because this is also our job description of how He wants us to do this. And He says, by the way, as you're going to fulfill your commitments to Me, that's really what He says when He says, go therefore. The idea is, He un understands, if you're My disciple, you will be going to do what I told you to do. So as you're going... As you're following through on your commitments, here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to make disciples of all nations. And we've talked about that before. The Great Commission is more than just the gospel. That's the starting point. That's the necessary point to start with. You must accept Christ as your Savior. But it's more than that. We don't just make believers. We make disciples. And that's a Greek word for attachment. Because in Jesus' day, a disciple was attached to his master he followed him in conduct and in doctrine. It wasn't just a mental belief. It was an actual following. You know the disciples spent time with Jesus as much as they could 24-7. They followed him around. And we're supposed to do for others what was assumed that we did. It assumed we attached ourselves to Jesus, so it's assumed we're going to attach others to Jesus and help that. We're also to help others baptize, be baptized, to identify publicly with Christ. That's what baptism did. It was a public identification. And again, it's assumed because we confess publicly He is Lord, it's assumed you'll help others do that. And the third part, teaching them to observe or obey all I have commanded you. And we know that goes beyond the gospel because he commanded a number of things to be studied. And so this is an ongoing process that we're teaching others to obey everything that the Lord commanded them. And that's what we're talking about making disciples. Here's our definition as we looked at this and other passages in the New Testament. What does it mean to make disciples? It's helping other believers make biblical change towards spiritual growth. That's what we're commanded to do for each other. 
Make that change toward growth. Because Paul said, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal. And so I asked you this question last week that we all have to answer. Who are you discipling? And then secondly, who's discipling you? Because we're to be doing both. We're supposed to be disciples and we're supposed to make disciples. Now, we answered last week, who do we disciple? Who are some of our options? Parents? Children? That was the quickest one, wasn't it? Bring your children up into discipline and instruction of the Lord. But we know it was more than that. It was kind of parent-child relationships. Like Paul with Timothy. Timothy was not his natural son, but Paul discipled Timothy like a father would a son. And so relationships that are older with younger, and so we see in Titus, older men with younger men, older women with younger women, were to be helping them grow spiritually and mature. And I remind you what we have in all our church that can help you already get into this, get involved in children's ministries. Side by side, older women with younger women. The possibility of older married couples helping disciple younger married couples. That's the idea of this parent-child. Or you may pick people that are kind of in your area of preferences. You have similar activities, you're similar place in life, you've made some intentional friendships based on common interests, and so you already have a kind of affinity together that you can then become a discipleship group. It might be one-on-one with one person, like Side to Side does, or it may be better with a small group of three to five, where you are trying to help each other, maturing disciples with maturing disciples. And I remind you some of the options here. Man up on Saturday morning, Bible training center, women's circles, God's gals, mother wives. There are plenty of opportunities to get involved in this type of discipleship. And if you can't figure it out, start your own. Some of those in your affinity group, in your preference group that you can get together and say, let's get together and start reviewing what God's teaching us from the Word and pray together and memorize Scripture together and strive to grow together. We're discipling each other. That's how it's supposed to work. Or you may look for people with potential. There's no doubt believers are to be discipling new believers. But whether you're being discipled or getting discipled, you're looking for somebody who has shown interest in spiritual growth, who really wants to move forward. You're looking, I told you last week, for fat people. Remember that? Faithful, available, teachable. That's what you're looking for. And if they don't fit those three things, you may want to look elsewhere for getting involved because those are necessary for discipling. And so we reminded those of you that are leaders in ministries, part of this also is discipling somebody who might be able to take your place. We see that all the way through Scripture, don't we? Leaders discipling who's going to replace them and making sure somebody's in place for when God takes them to another place, or if He does, there's somebody ready to step in, and that should be being done. Now, where are we at? 
here's where we're at. My guess is some of you are struggling with these concepts. You're struggling with what we read in Luke 14 this morning about how to be disciples, and you're saying, I'm not sure. This is tough. These conditions are unbelievable to be a disciple. And how many times Jesus said, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. And so I'm not sure I can do that. Or you're overwhelmed with the thought of making a disciple. How do I do that? You think you're the only one? By the way, I know it's happening because a number of people have told me this. So I understand. We read Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Went through that. But look at verses 16 and 17. I want to just see something here. There's a response here that we may miss. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Well, what were they doubting? Were they doubting that he had resurrected from the dead? Were they doubting he was actually who he said he was? Were they doubting that he was a flesh and blood person and not a spirit? Go back to John chapter 20. What's it mean when he's meeting with these disciples and some are worshiping, but some are still doubting? Well, here's what you have to understand in John 20. Before that verse we just read in Matthew happens, Jesus has already met with them three times. Here in John 20, verses 19 through 23, he meets with all the disciples. Remember through a locked door? The door is locked and all of a sudden he's in there with them. Kind of messes them up. Showed them his hands and his side. One of them was missing. Thomas is missing. So eight days later, verses 26 to 29, he appears to them all again inside. Thomas is there this time. In chapter 21, seven of the disciples are out on the sea by the seashore, and Jesus meets with seven of them. So at least three times before this verse 17 where it says some doubted, Jesus met with them. So are they doubting He resurrected? Can't be. They know He did. Are they doubting He was flesh and blood? Can't be. They've been eating with Him. They've been touching Him. They know who He is. So what's this mean? Well, this word for doubt is not the same word for doubt used in other places in the New Testament. This is a word probably better translated. They hesitated. They're uncertain about taking a particular course of action. That's the word. You remember the account? The disciples are out on the sea in a boat and it's storming. They always were. They were great fishermen, weren't they? You figure out how stupid are you to go out there, but they're always out there. And it's in the middle of the night and somebody comes walking along on the sea. And they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, it's a spirit. And then they find out it's Jesus. And Peter calls out and Jesus says, come to me. And Peter gets out of the boat and Peter's walking on the water. Until what happens? He sees the waves and down he goes. And Jesus says to him in Matthew 14.31, Hey Peter, why did you doubt? And he uses this word. Peter hesitated. If he had just kept walking on the sea, he wouldn't have gone in. But he took a second to hesitate, and down he goes. That's the word. Well, what are they hesitating from? Look at John 20, verse 21. 
In the first appearance, here's what Jesus said to them. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. He's already told them what their mission is going to be. Just like you saw me sent, guess what, guys? I'm sending you. And some of them are thinking, I'm hesitating. Why would they hesitate? I'll give you at least three reasons. I think, number one, they hesitated. They had doubts because of their reactions to his death. Remember that? Jesus is getting arrested in the garden. They've got their swords with them. Peter uses his, cuts off the ear. Boy, they're real brave, aren't they? Jesus gets arrested, and what do they all do? It's on the screen. They all left him and fled. You think they were hesitating to, to do this, what, God, what Jesus was saying to them, because they knew they'd failed him in the past? We know they were. We'll see that with Peter a little bit later. Question, are you hesitating from doing what you should in discipling because you have kind of failed him in the past in some things you've tried to do? Or how about this? I think they hesitated because they doubted their capability to do what he asked them to do. They had had times in the past he had asked them to do some things and they were not able to do it. Remember, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 with three of the disciples. The rest of the disciples are down below and a father brings his demon-possessed son to them and says, can you cast him out? And they tried everything they could and couldn't cast him out. They should have been able to. And Jesus walks down and said... All right, guys, you forgot this one doesn't go out except with prayer. He didn't pay attention to everything, and Jesus has to do it for them. And so now they're figuring, I'm not sure we're capable. We've already demonstrated we should be able to do something, and we didn't. How many of us are doubting our capabilities to do what Jesus has asked us to do? I think thirdly, some of them were hesitating, having doubts, because they weren't sure they wanted to do what Jesus asked them to do. Look in John 21, verse 2. you got Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And of course, great fishermen went out and got in the boat. That night they caught nothing. What's new? Question, is that what they were supposed to, do, to be doing, fishing for fish? What did Jesus said? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, they were have figured out, I'm not sure I want to do what Jesus has asked me to do. I think maybe I want to go back fishing. So how many of you are doubt, wondering, do I really want to do what Jesus asked me to do? He wants me to make disciples. I'm not sure I want to do that. So what's Jesus' answer for hesitation? It was the Great Commission. Now you've got verses 18 to 20, right after they doubted. And the first thing he says, guys, here's how you're going to be able to do this. Yeah, it was a job description, but it was also a reminder. Here's how you're going to be able to do this. Number one, I'm the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, number one, that's the part where he says, hey, you're my disciples, I'm giving you command. If you're my disciples, you don't ignore my command. There's definitely part of that. But he's also saying, number two, you're not doing this under your own authority. 
You're not making this up or deciding how to do this. I'm the authority, and I'm telling you this is the way it needs to be done. Some of you also know that this word for authority also contains the idea of power, doesn't it? In fact, some of the old translations that all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because sometimes we wonder, I'm not sure I have the power and ability to do this. And Jesus said, you don't have to. All power has been given to me. It's my power you have to worry about, not your own. And then an interesting phrase here, all authority in heaven and on earth. Why would he have to say both of those? Here's a quote from one writer. He says this, if the authority of Jesus were circumcised on er only on earth, if he were but one of many religious teachers, one of many Jewish prophets, one of many divine incarnations, we would have no mandate to present him to the nations as the Lord and Savior of the world. If the authority of Jesus were limited to heaven, if he'd not decisively overthrown the principalities and powers, we might still proclaim him to the nations, but we would never be able to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. What's Jesus saying? I'm the authority in both realms, both the physical realm and the spiritual realm. I've got them all covered. You don't have to worry about either side. I've taken care of it. So why are you hesitating? Secondly, remind them in this same passage, you're not doing this alone. At the end, didn't he say that? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're not in this alone. In fact, really, you're not doing it. I'm doing this through you. And I'm always with you on it. By the way, I'm going to remind you, always with you went after go. It's not I'll go when I'm sure he's with me. It's I go. And assuming as he's authority and he tells me the truth, he's with me in what I'm doing. I just start doing it. And by the way, he gave me more help than that. Back in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus had told them, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He promised them a helper. You have the Holy Spirit to help you. Some of you are sitting there saying, Well, what? I won't know what to say when I'm in here talking, discipling. What do you think the Holy Spirit's for? To help us understand to help us how to declare things, to help us how to get, stay together and be together. It's of the Holy Spirit. We have assistance in this. We're not alone. Thirdly, why should we hesitate? Because He appointed us. If He knows better than we do, and He decides to appoint us, we ought to say He knows what He's doing. I'll read to you in John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Does Jesus know who he's choosing for various jobs? The answer is evidently. And by the way, the disciples are our reminder, aren't they? Remember this in Acts chapter 4? The religious leaders in Israel say when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, just like us. And if they can do it with God's help, you think we can't do it with God's help? 
And by the way, why can we do it? Look at the last phrase. They recognized what? They'd been with Jesus. They weren't doing this stuff on their own. When you do be with Jesus, you can do what Jesus asks you to do. But let me give you a fourth reason not to hesitate. And it's the idea of adjusted or adjustment. Do you understand that Jesus meets us where we are? See, all of us looked at all those lists. We looked at all those characteristics. We looked at all the responsibilities. We looked at everything that involved. And we said, I'm not there yet, so therefore I can't do anything. Really? You're in John 21. Go to verse 15. This is something many of you know, but we need to review it. 15 to 17. You know, Peter denied Christ three times, right? So verse 15, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon said to John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, most of you know in our English translation, it just looks like they're saying the same question three times, right? And same answer three times. But you understand the problem is the originals are not in English. They're in Greek. And you've got to kind of look at what it's really saying here. And the first time in verse 15, Jesus says this, Hey, Simon, Peter, do you love agape me? And most of you know what agape love is, right? 1 Corinthians 13. It's God love. It's sacrificial love. It's love where I am willing, no matter what the cost, to meet your needs. And so Jesus is saying, Hey, Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me in a way that will sacrifice for the needs of others? Question, what are you going to answer when Jesus asks you that? Because he just did. Do you love me? And some of you wonder, why is he throwing that more than these thing? That was Peter's fault. Remember when Jesus told them all, guess what, guys, you're going you're to run, you're going to deny me. Here's what Peter said. Peter answered, though the rest of these guys all fall away because of you, I'll never fall away. All right, Peter, hey, you love me more than the rest of these guys? You said you did. Well, here's Peter's answer. Yes, Lord, you know I, Philadelphia, you. You all know what Philadelphia means, right? City of... Oh, just like a brother, Lord. We're friends. I am fond of you. But I'm not going with door number one, with the agape part. I'm not back there yet. Well, Jesus tries a second time, doesn't he? In verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? And Peter answered, I'm still hesitating, Lord. I'm still just fond of you. I love you like a brother, I'm a friend, but that's as far as I'm going. I'm still hesitating moving past this point. And wouldn't you think right now Jesus would start chewing them out? Because at times Jesus did chew them out, didn't he? 
when they didn't do what they were supposed to, and he'd say, don't you guys have any faith? Where are you at? And you'd think at this time he'd really go after Peter. And yeah, he goes after Peter. He says this, Simon, son of John, are you fond of me? Do you love me like a brother? And of course, Peter said, Lord, he should have thought this to start with. You know everything. Did God, did Jesus already know where he was coming from? Did Jesus already know he was hesitating and why he was hesitating? Did Jesus already figure out what Peter was? Yes. And you know that I'm fond of you. Isn't it interesting how Jesus comes right down to his level? He says, fine, Peter, you aren't ready to start at the top level. You're not sure about this. You're hesitating. How about I start at your level? Now what are you going to do? Now your excuses are kind of a little less. Because Jesus does meet me where we're, meet us where we are for service. By the way, he doesn't lower any standards for salvation. You accept him or not. There's no other standard than that. But for service... But here's what I'm going to remind you. Just because Jesus meets at, at the level he, we are, he does expect us to go forward from where we are. He doesn't expect us to stay where we're at. He doesn't expect us to get stagnant or complacent or drift away. Because look at the three answers. The first thing was what? Simon, do you love me? Agape, love me? If so, feed my lambs. Provide food for my young ones. That's what you do if you love me with agape love. But Peter didn't go that route yet. So he asked him again. Peter, do you agape love me? If you do, you're going to have to tend my sheep or nurture them. And thirdly, he comes in and says, all right, Peter, I'll come down to your level. Are you just fond of me? And Peter says, yeah, and guess what? Same thing. Provide food for my sheep. No matter what level you're on, you understand you have to do something for the sheep? And who are the sheep? Other disciples. Doesn't matter what level you're on. Jesus will meet you where you're at and start you where you can start, but He expects you to start doing some of the things He asks you to do. Now, by the way, Peter's like us. He's trying to find another delaying tactic. You figure that one out? Because then Jesus tells him here in verses 18... And 19, what kind of death he's going to die. And Peter turns and sees another disciple standing there. And verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? You're telling me everything I'm supposed to do. How about the guy over there? Aren't we great at delaying tactics? I'd be more than willing to do it, Lord, if I saw that person doing it. Or if you gave me this person to disciple me, I might do it. But that person, I don't think so. And what does he say to him? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what's it to you? You follow me. Jesus doesn't compare us to anybody else. He deals with us each individually where we're we're at and expects us to move forward from there. He's not worried about anybody else because he takes care of them individually. I don't have to worry about anybody else but me as far as following Him, but then I have to figure out, am I obeying Him to help others follow Him? Why would we hesitate doing what Jesus asks to do 
when he gives us all the authority we need, he gives us all the assistance we need, he tells us, I've appointed you and I've told you you can bear fruit. And by the way, I'm going to adjust it to your level. You can start where you're at and we'll move from there. And don't worry about what anybody else looks like. You just follow me. You can't ask for more than that, can you? Turn back to John 10. Let's get a picture of what a disciple should look like. And to get that picture, I'm going to pick one of the disciples. And the disciple's name is Thomas. Well, what word comes to your mind with Thomas? Oh, doubting Thomas, right? By the way, can I remind you, Jesus never called him that? If you want somebody who looks like a disciple and the way a disciple should, you could pick almost any of the disciples, but one you should really look at is Thomas. Because number one, here's what Thomas showed. He was devoted to Jesus. And this controls all his actions and reactions that we see of him, the few that we have. You're in John 10. In verse 31, he's in Jerusalem, Jesus is. And what's happening? He tells them, I and my Father are one. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm God. And so the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. We're going to kill this guy. Verse 39 says, they again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped. He's blaspheming God. He deserves to die. And so Jesus and the disciples have to leave the area. So, he's gone. Chapter 11, his friend Lazarus gets sick, right? And Mary and Martha, his sisters, send somebody to Jesus and say, you got to come, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus waits a couple more days to make sure Lazarus dies because that's part of his purpose in this. And then verse 6. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples... Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again? What are you thinking? We just left there to keep from getting killed and now you're saying, let's turn around and go back? So Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Again, verse 12, great delaying tactic. Let's hesitate. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll wake up. We don't have to go there. If he's just sleeping, we don't have to go back there. That's not a good place to go. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
I don't think this is a fatalistic statement. I don't think this is a sarcastic statement. I think Thomas is saying, guess what, guys? We follow him. And if it means dying, we'll die. Let's go. And you understand Thomas goes and the other disciples follow Thomas because Thomas is following Jesus. That's what a disciple does. As we follow Jesus, we ask others to follow us. Devoted to him. In this case, even if it cost him his life, he's willing to go. Go to John 14. What else does a disciple look like? He's somebody who's determined to keep learning. We know the original word of disciple just means student, but it goes past that. But it's somebody who's determined to keep learning. If I asked most of you knew John 14, 6, I would say you probably know it, right? Say it together. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Great verse, isn't it? No other way to heaven but Christ. Sometimes we forget, though, why Jesus gave that verse. Here in John 14, look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says to him, Lord... We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then the answer is verse 6. Thomas saying, Lord, I, we don't know that one. Now, should they have known this one? Probably. Not the point. Thomas is saying, I need to learn something here. I'm, Thomas is the only one asking questions. The other guys have figured out now, let's just keep our mouth shut. We don't know what's going on either, but we we'll just won't say anything. Thomas said, I want to learn. And by the way, he doesn't say, Lord, I don't know where you're going. How can I know the way? What's he say? We. He wants the other disciples to learn this too. He's determined to keep learning, and he wants the other disciples to learn too. And so Jesus gives him more information. Back to John 21. 20 and 21. Third thing here is he decides to keep meeting with the other disciples. And you say, what in the world is that about? Remember what I told you. In John 20, verses 19 through 23, Jesus appears to the disciples... But one guy's missing. It's Thomas. Do you think maybe Thomas felt a little left out? I think so. Now, why was Thomas not there? Everybody wants to ask that. We have no clue, so it's no use conjecturing. It doesn't matter why Thomas wasn't there. There was purposes in Christ. He, he knew Thomas wasn't going to be there. But Thomas is not feeling this real well. Thomas is wondering, do I still belong in this group? What is going on here? So verse 24, Thomas, one of the twelve, in chapter 20, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand to his side, I will never believe. What's he feeling like? Left out. 
I'm not sure I'm part of this group. This is difficult for me. They're all you guys got it and I didn't. And most of the time when we feel that way, we decide to stay away from the fellowship, stay away from the body. What does Thomas do in verse 28, 26? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and where's Thomas? Still meeting with the disciples. He understands, I can't stop meeting with the disciples. Remember our verse in Hebrews 10? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thomas understood no matter what's going on, no matter how this is difficult for me, I must keep meeting with the other disciples. Fourthly, Thomas has a desire to believe even when he's struggling. Now we look at his phrase here in verse 25 of chapter 20. And we think, wow, I don't think he wants to believe. Unless I see in his hand the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He's struggling with belief. You ever struggle with belief? Do you believe that God, that Jesus wants you to be his disciples? Do you believe that God wants you to make disciples? Or are you struggling with that belief? I remind you here, Peter wants to believe. Because he doesn't say, I'll never believe, no, no exception. He said, with one, with this proof, I'm looking for some proof to believe. I want to believe. We tend to look at it just say, he's just being adamant. I'm never going to believe. No, he's really doing the opposite. And you understand this was not just Thomas who said this. We miss this sometimes when we call it doubting Thomas. We should say doubting disciples. In Mark 16, it said, When Jesus arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Thomas is no different from the rest of them. He wants to believe as much as they wanted to believe, but they were struggling with this. So what does Jesus do? Eight days later, verse 26, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Beast be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Do you notice something that's missing there? It never says he touched him. One reminder was all it took for Thomas to believe. When the Holy Spirit reminds us, this is stuff we're supposed to be doing, will one reminder be enough to say, I should be believing this? That's all it took for Thomas. Are you hesitating doing what God's telling you to do? Here's Elijah's question. And I like the ESV version of this. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you keep limping along in your spiritual life because you won't commit to doing what God wants you to do? 
choose. Verse 29 is written to us in this chapter. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me, not because you have touched me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? Us. You say, wait a minute, I don't see how this is all going to work out. I don't see what's going to happen if I start doing this. Guess what? That's why it's called faith. You're more blessed because you believe because you haven't seen him in person. But you're willing to believe anyway because he's told you, you're my disciple. Will you do that this morning? Will you commit to being the disciple you should be? And will you start doing something wherever you're at, whatever place you're at, to start making disciples the way Jesus wants us to? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're the one who has been teaching us this morning, commanding us, encouraging us, reminding us you never call us to a task that you help enable us to do it. But we need to choose and then start going. And I'm sure many of us in here this morning are struggling, hesitating to do what you've asked us to do. Will you push us past the hesitation? Would you help us to step out past our comfort zones and start obeying you? And then just watch how you work. We pray this in your name. Amen.